Welcome to Closing the Gap, and I'm your host, Denise Cooper. Ever wanted good advice or insights about your career, leadership, or navigating messy organizational politics? Getting good advice can make all the difference between making the right choices and worrying about what to do. So sit back, relax, and listen as my guests and I talk about lessons learned about career success, leadership, and HR in the 21st century. So today, I am happy to introduce a good friend of mine. She has been an advisor, a friend, a confidant for, I don't know, about a year and a half now, right? And her name is Fern Presson. She is an author and a speaker and a trainer on a very important topic. In the workplace, one of the silent things that's happening is, is that many of your employees are probably taking care of an aging parent. If not an aging parent, then they may have someone else that they are giving care to. And we really don't talk about that because one of the old myths that are out there is, is that you leave your personal life at the door. Unfortunately, the way we live today in the 21st century, that's no longer true. We have to think about the whole person. And as HR professionals and executives, we have to come up with ways in which we're supporting our employees as a whole person. This topic today is really timely in that Fern has um, currently a book out. It's called I'll Be Right There, a guidebook for adult care caregivers for aging parents and a soon-to-be published book called um, Not, Going Any Not Going to Live Forever, you know, and she's going to talk a little bit about that um, with us today. So welcome, Fern. Hi, Denise. How are you today? I am coping with coronavirus and parents and trying to figure out how to get my mother to stop showing her knee during a Zoom conference and all that ah. fun, fun things Fun like stuff. That. Fun yeah. stuff. Um, I will share a little personal story with my listeners today. So Fern and I were scheduled uh, earlier to have this call. And as many of you know, I take care of my mom. My mom's 86 years old and recently she fell, hurt her knee. It's not broken, but it's badly bruised. And one of the, the um, wonderful things about aging is, is that we don't heal as fast as we did when we were younger. So it's challenging for her to have to go to the bathroom, get her food, etc. And just before I was to get on this call, I heard, Denny, I need some help, <laughs> which caused me to have to quickly text her and uh, text Fern and let her know I need about 10 minutes because that means my mom has to go to the bathroom. And it's just that simple <laughs> with us all being um, isolated and at home. Many times we have our children and or our parents with us and you know, we, we have all these wonderful plans. We are in get it done mold and it doesn't always work like we think it is, which causes a new kind of stress for all of us. And so I thought in talking to Fern the other day, we were talking about the causes she's getting, the people that I'm talking to, and we thought it'd be worthwhile for you to hear some tips, some techniques for HR, for executives, um, what are a couple things that you can do to help your employees 
um, not just now, but even after we go back to work, the same challenges are going to be there. And oftentimes they're um, isolated because they don't think anybody else is suffering through the same thing or having to deal with the same obstacles and challenges. And the reality is, is that that's probably not true. Every community has this, every culture has it. And as you know, culture is really about how do we treat each other, not just in the good times, but when things are challenging. So my first question to you, Fern, is this. As you have worked with people who um, are new to or in the midst of, like me, what are some of the stresses that you see that they're dealing with silently? Well, first of all, um, the number of people who claim that they are caregivers is actually far lower than the actual number of people caregiving. Because Really? Yeah, there are... Um, 54 million people in this country taking care of somebody at home. And there are 34 million that are taking care of parents of that 54. But there are people who work in your office, for example, who might have a sibling who's taking care of their parent in another state. So the one who works in your office doesn't call themselves a caregiver because they're not the primary caregiver. The person oh. is living in their house. Yeah. So, so there are people who are, <laughs> and this may not be appropriate, but I call them the silent sufferers <laughs> because mm -hmm. they are going through just as much stress and they feel that obligation and they're having those nights where they can't sleep just as if they had someone in their home. So mm -hmm. we want to be more cognizant of taking care of the people who are actually doing day-to-day -day caregivers because they have very specific needs that focus around time and resources that are very local. And then we have long distance caregivers who need a lot of emotional support, may potentially need some financial understanding, you yeah. know, of how yeah. this benefit wise, administration wise. So, you know, that's one of the things. Well, um, and when you said that, you know, like my brother, um, he tries to contribute as much as he can financially. Um, he's also the person who, when I have to go on the road to speak to someone, he flies down from Minneapolis, stays with my mom three, four, five days. Fortunately, his company gives him elder care. Um, he gets two weeks of a benefit. Yeah. Um, Procter & Gamble. Uh, I can't remember the name of his company right now. I apologize, Anthony. Um, but he does have two weeks in which he can use it. And so between the two of us, you know, he's working through coming down. And I will tell you um, the funniest story, at least it's funny to me, is oh, he during yeah. Oh, yeah. It, early on, he came down. I gave him the list and, you know, um, in Fern's book. Um, I'll be right there. The caregiver's guide, you know, she has a list of make sure medicines are there, resources, times, what do they like, you know, and I have what television stations. All, I mean, it was just laid out. All I had to do was follow the blueprint. And one of the things was no alcohol because she's on medicines that don't react well with alcohol. Plus it makes her a fall risk. And I go, I do my speaking gig, I come back to the house and here's a big bottle of scotch. And I'm like, were you drinking scotch? Oh no, I got it from mom. <laughs> uh, I told you don't give it to her. She said, well, you let her drink sometimes. <laughs> Flashback, childhood. 
Mommy said it was okay. Just, what are you talking about? The look on his face when I said, welcome to knowing your mother as an adult. She will lie to you. <laughs> it was priceless. So funny. And, oh. and the other thing is, as you found out, the person that is sort of caregiving long distance, the one who's uh, yeah. there every day, has no clue, no matter how much you cry and whine and <laughs> talk to them on the phone, they have no clue no. what it's like to do that every day. Just like babysitting does not prepare you for being a parent and being full-time with a baby. Yeah. You, you really need to be there. And, yeah. and honestly, if you're out there and your family doesn't come do it, let them do it. Go away. Take that little vacation. Let your family be there because that's the only way they're going to recognize just exactly what it's like for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, nonstop, without any break. Um, and, and, you know, the other side of it is, is if they don't experience it, they don't know how to help you because now they're dependent yeah. on you telling them and you're just not going to remember. Right. And there are little things that they can do that can help you get through this. Totally. So, you know, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the stress in the workplace or the stress that a person brings, because as you said, they're, you know, kind of silent suffering. Yes. Um, that happens. And, and until you, I will say, until you get into this, you really don't know what it's like to have the worry 24 seven, um, 365 days a year of either having to care for someone who is an assistant living, which I still say is assisted living without much assistance, um, or having uh, them in the home with you. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you're hearing or how you're working with um, HR people to create better support systems? Yeah, one of, the, one of the misconceptions is that we can manage caring for our parents the way we manage our busy, busy schedule at work. That you can slot in making phone calls for mom at 9 a.m. and then, you know, I'm going to work for from 9.30 to 12 and then I'll take care of lunch with mom and then I'll go back to work. And that's not what happens. Like you had an experience, your mom needed something and you have to go. I, I get phone calls from my mother. I hurt my wrist trying to get your father's compression socks on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you get a call like that at work and part of you is like laughing. What do you want me to do about that now? <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I can't get over there to go put his socks on. Why are you calling me at work? But this is an emergency in her mind. So she's calling you because you're the contact. Um, so really, I think that the best thing an employer can do is allow the idea that the staff that is taking care of people that are, that are, they need mental health support, they need some place to go bitch and moan, they might need a really big pillow that they can punch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Come back to work after they let off some stress, you know, you might need morning yoga, meditation, deep breathing things on their computer to calm them down when these kinds of things happen, because you want them back in the productivity mindset, right? Right, if you're, right. If you're trying to improve your business and make money and all of that stuff. And, and oftentimes they don't want to share that with their other fellow exactly. employees, you know, so they come in irritable to a meeting 
And, you know, we don't know, we can't read somebody else's mind. So you take it as, oh, they're irritated with me. Right. Um, or they're just, or that's just their personality. Don't talk to them. And it interferes with the relationship and the trust that is needed to have a high performing culture. Exactly. So, you know, the mental health resources that you hear about all the time, those are, those are very much for caregivers, but maybe if you had specific Mm -hmm. articles, specific resources for caregivers that says it's okay. We know that this is stressful. We're honoring that. We want to help support you so that you can do a better job so that we all benefit. Right, right, right. So um, I also want to talk about, because I think it's interesting and, and very helpful to share little things like those tough conversations. So I took care of my mother, I took care of my dad. You know, that one conversation that says, it's time for you to give up the car. Oh, yeah, that's fun. I call it <laughs> the awkward conversations <laughs> yeah. that, that we have to have. And, and oh, the latest one I'm getting, Denise, you'll love this. People are calling me because their parents are not behaving themselves in the coronavirus. Their uh -huh. parents are running around and going to Target and to Walmart and to the grocery store every day, maybe mm -hmm. with or without gloves, maybe with or without a mask. And people are like, how do I get my parents to stop doing this? I want them to be healthy. I want them to stay home. And they're like, they're not worried about it. <laughs> and they, you know, they want to take care of their kids. They want to see their grandkids even yes. waving outside the door. And so the reality is that the parents, I think, are just looking to feel valued. Yeah still want to be relevant. They don't want to be so disconnected. None of us do, but they especially feel like if they don't stay in touch, oh my God. Um, so they're doing things we don't want them to do. So how do you have that conversation without sounding like a scolding parent <laughs> saying, go home and behave yourself? <laughs> stop I, it. I said, stop it. Stop it. All <laughs> right, exactly. So, um, just the way you would want someone to talk to you would be you can't you can't be yelling at them i told you to do this now do it yeah. um you have to, it has to be their choice so maybe i go on a little on the extreme because this is what worked for me and for my friends when we started doing it with our parents is you have to help them understand where you're coming from mm -hmm. which means you have to identify where you're coming from so Stay at home, I, I don't you know, want you to get sick is one thing, but sharing I words instead of you words saying, I feel like you're gonna be so sick and I'm not gonna be able to take care of you because of all these restrictions. And I'm panicked because I also have to take care of my family at home and you're doing this and you're making me worry too much and I'm gonna have a heart attack if you don't go home and take care of and be honored that this. And then your parents are not saying, oh, she's trying to run my life. Yeah. Saying, I'm hurting my child by doing this because I'm making her too stressed out. Mm -hmm. And so again, back at the workplace, um, even if you're working virtual, you've got your, your kids running around at home and you've got your spouse perhaps at home, and then you've got your parents running around and you can't go out there and stop them. 
Um, one of the other things I've said to people is the hospitals cannot, if you have a heart attack or you have a stroke or you have a car accident while you're out there running around, the hospitals can't handle you coming in right now. They're not going to be able to take the best care of you. And I will not be able to get in because they are not letting visitors. Do you know how stressful that is for me every time you're out there buying a toy for my child that you're going to leave on the front door? Don't do that. I can take care of the groceries. I can do all of that. You know, so it's being honest about where you're coming from so that they can they can say, okay, it's my choice not to worry my family. It's yeah. my choice not to do that. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, it does. And it it's you know I I always say that you can tell deliver any message, but it's the tone and um, patience that you deliver it with. And delivering that message, at least for me, it was really having a set down. It happened to be over. He was drinking scotch. I was drinking bourbon um, <laughs> and saying, you know, it's time for you to, you know, it's really time for me to take the keys here because mm -hmm. A, you shouldn't be drinking and here we are drinking and B, you, I am so worried. Right. And then and have, and, and, and saying it slow enough that the impact of your words can penetrate their excuse because the mind always goes to excuse and I'm right because of course I'm right, right? And I'm your parent and I know what's better. And so it's very challenging as a child to have to suddenly have an adult conversation with your parent who is no longer the parent in the relationship, that they now really are the child. And when they're in assisted living and, and uh, hopefully still living by themselves, but they have a caregiver coming in. I mean, the toughest conversation uh, my neighbor's having right now is uh, his parent, his mother really needs a full-time caregiver. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having someone come into your home to clean up, to help them bathe um, is a very personal and private kind of thing and a lot of parents a lot of you know women men are going to just not be okay with this okay my dad was totally like that mm -hmm. he doesn't need anybody mm -hmm. don't even talk to him about it but he's on coumadin and if he falls yeah. on the hard floor he's going to bleed to death and so when my and mother, coumadin is a blood thinner for those of yeah, you who sorry. don't know right yes so so when my mother would leave the house, my this is before they were in a, an independent living community, um, we were trying to figure out how to get my dad to be okay with an aid. So here's one of the tips that I give out is you're not bringing in an aid, you're bringing in a handyman. Mm -hmm. You're bringing in a computer tech person. Oh, you're good. bringing in someone to cook. You're bringing in someone to do the cleaning. Um, and so it's not an aid to watch out for you, but the person also happens to have a home health aid license or mm -hmm. happens to be a certified nursing assistant or something like that. And, and that's what we did. We had a handyman here. We had to come up with a lot of things <laughs> that needed fixing. Every time my mother left the house, Dennis was there to fix things around the house. And my father was fine with that because it wasn't someone there that made him feel like a baby. It was a man fixing things in the house. So you have to find what is it that is a comfort zone 
And right now, my father told me that, you know, he, he, I love you, but I hate what you're doing to me. I don't want an aid. I'm doing this against my preferences. I really don't. And he, I was crying because he was so adamant that he did not want this. Yeah. And my mother was so stressed out taking care of him. I knew it was as much for my mother as it was for him. Yeah. So I shared with him that information. And I said, look, would you please do this for me and mom? Do it for two hours. If you don't like her, we'll kick her out. You don't have to stay. And he went in one conversation from, I hate that you're doing this to me. I don't like it to on the other end of the spectrum saying, well, what are you going to do when I run away with the aid and talk to you about So I was like, okay, dad, your head is all over the place. This is this is what happens, like logic and rationale, kind of as your parents are aging, it kind of goes a little like not traditional. And um, so he tried it and now it's where they're going on their third week with her in the house. And my mm -hmm. mother is much less stressed. He's mm -hmm. getting his compression socks on without a problem, you know, and, and the aide is taking care of um, some health things that he has going on and he's fine with it. Yeah. So it's just that initial resistance, especially with stubborn people. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, and so it's the interaction with them. But I think one of the things that you highlight that maybe some of the listeners may not know, but I know because I had to go through it twice now, um, is, you know, the first step is really about my mind shift. I went to, you know, when it first came to me, I treated it like it's going to be a project. And, you know, I'm only going to, I'm going to set it up and I'm going to, you know, have the schedule. I'm going to have folks in, they're going to be fine, you know, and it's only going to be for a couple of years. Right. Well, a couple of years for me turned into 25. Wow. And so the shock of this plan ain't going the way I thought it was going to go <laughs> for someone who's very used to we get it done, we move on, here's the plan, here's the process, we keep managing it, right. it's going to work, I'm going to see an end, you know, every project has a beginning, middle and end, I'm going to see the end. Well, the end of this project, A, is emotionally bad because it means somebody died. Mm -hmm. The middle of it could last, you know, they told me my dad would never last past three weeks, he wound up living another 20 years. So there's that process of uh, what I call expectation hangover. <laughs> and then there's the emotional beginning of the process. In your book, do you talk a little bit about that? Yes, because as working with my siblings and trying to balance all of that, I go through that in the book and I talk about other people trying to work with a family because you really can't take it all on alone. Mm -hmm. it, it becomes quite overwhelming. And then we go through what I call the guilts yeah. because we start feeling like, oh my God, I can't believe I actually said, I wish you would just die already. Oh my yeah. God can't believe that I want to run away and just dump them and whatever happens happens uh, or the anger with your siblings yes or or anger 
at your parents. Like you are my parents. You're supposed to know all this stuff. I'm not supposed to be taking care of you. This is supposed to be my time. This is, I'm 60 plus and now I have the time to retire and travel and I can't go anywhere because of you. That's, that's aggravating. That's making me angry. And then I feel guilty about being angry and I feel guilty about not enjoying the situation. And I feel guilty trying to figure out how I can dump them on someone else. And then I feel guilty for using the word dump in my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that wasn't mm-hmm. what I expected. And so. you said 60. So I started when I was 45 taking care of mine. So it's, this is not something that's so far out folks. No, this there is, are so many millennials who are yeah. taking care of their grandparents yeah. because their parents are working. Yeah. So you've got, you've got a whole bunch of stuff going on that hasn't been ever before, at least not in history the way we know it. And certainly not at this time when we we don't we often don't live in the same city. We are highly mobile society. Um, and it's pretty tough being out here working in the culture that we are because resources are thin, layers are, you know, we have flatter organizations. And as I've talked about before, when you have a flat organization, that means you have less room for error. The risk of the impact of an error goes higher Mm -hmm. because you don't have enough cushioning in your organization to be able to catch things when they're small, they only get caught when they get to be big. And so if you've got, you know, um, millennials who are 20 somethings, I'll just say 20 somethings who are now new managers and they're also taking care of a grandparent and they're trying to learn how to be a manager. And you've got a regional who will only give them, you know, 10 minutes or 20 minutes or an hour every couple of weeks. These folks are out there trying to do the best job they can, but they have little resources and little guidance, which takes me to, okay, so the end this, I want to have a couple, four, three, four, five things that you think HR executives, as they're thinking about this particularly, you know, it's, it's an unusual time with the coronavirus. However, the problems that we're talking about existed before, and they certainly are going to exist post um, when we get back to whatever the new normal is going to be. What would you recommend that they start thinking about? They, they pull together either virtually. How can you help folks who might be in this or help prepare people who potentially right. are going to be in this in the next three to five years? Two, yeah. three, maybe even next year. I don't know why I say that. You know, <laughs> Baby boomers are getting older. They're the biggest generation, you know? Right. Right. It's a, it's a huge, when you think about the baby boomer generation and then all of their kids between Mm -hmm. those two generations, it's huge. It's Mm -hmm. a huge amount of care and, and caregiving is also even people taking care of their own kids at home and they Mm -hmm. might have some, a child with challenges or they might have some issues um, that we don't understand because that's at home. And, but they bring that tension, they bring that stress to work with them. Um, and they need some allowances for that. So we all know about flexible schedules and being able to, you know, work from home part of the time, work in the office part of the time, all of that kind of stuff. And a lot of companies already do that. But I think sometimes it's like what you went through this morning. It's not something that's expected that you can schedule. So just being understanding of the idea that I may need to run and go take care of a cable bill for my parents because 
they ordered two different services and I have to go straighten it out and it might take an hour or more. Or mm -hmm. I have to go talk to not my doctor, but my parents' doctor. I, t I need to take them on an appointment. Um, so I'm going to be out for an hour and I'll be back or I'll be out for two. Those kinds of flexibility things are important. Um, having resources, lunch and learns, lectures, uh, online webinars, um, uh, a newsletter, articles maybe in your company newsletter, just some tips and for handling this kind of stuff or resources for people to call. If you're dealing with these kinds of challenges, here's, here's people the company supports or the company underwrites. These are free services for our employees. Yeah, and before we got on, I, um, we were, before we got on here, we were doing a debrief. I really like the idea of creating an employee resource group, just like we might have the Asian American or the African American um, employee group, but there may be a caregivers group so that people can get together and have a safe place where they can talk about it. They can learn resources, Facebook um, targeted groups. You know, now it's Facebook rocks uh, some of the ads that are there, but I think those are the online um, resources that you're talking about. Yes, yes. And there are there are outside resources that the company can give. Here's a list of Alzheimer's support groups. Here's a list of Parkinson's support groups, uh, deafblind support groups, you know, all, all the different challenges. I can't even go through the whole list, but mm -hmm. there's all kinds of groups that are out there already that are local that have support groups. So if you are not a big enough company that you can have your own internal groups or you don't have the resources and time for people to get away because they need to be on an assembly line or something, then you might be able to provide the resources in terms of a booklet, a pamphlet, uh, emails, online web on the website and so yeah. on and so forth yeah yeah the um, other um thing that i i thought was important from what you said earlier is um make sure that your health plan if you have a health plan make sure that there's something in the plan that allows for mental health because exactly. oftentimes just having a mental health professional who can help you guide you through things like meditation um mindfulness training um, can be there for you to kind of process the anger or the guilt that you might be feeling about having to be in this situation or not having siblings or anyone else to help you. Um, the, the anger you feel that your parent is no longer parent. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's, some, it's those kinds of things that are problematic or that they're constantly putting themselves in danger. Because in the mind of your parent, there's still that 20-something, 30-something person who was fully capable, yet their body and their ability to navigate our world today is not so good. I mean, I remember when, you know, I literally had to start just kind of locking the door and telling my mom, don't open the door, because my mom just opened the door to anybody who showed up, you know? <laughs> and I walked in, and here was this guy, six foot, standing inside, and my mom said, well, I thought you knew him. <laughs> yeah. it, there are so yeah. many small changes um, that you, you, you yeah. have to learn to live with. I had a girlfriend, a caregiver. She was taking care of her husband who had Alzheimer's. And she got a phone call that he walked out of the day program and mm. was wandering around in the street. Well, 
she's not focusing on her work anymore. She's exactly. out she's running around in her car trying to find her husband and that kind of stress. And how do, how is my employer going to look at me after this, when I'm dealing with all of this kind of situation is it's important for an employer to let people know, we understand you have a life outside here and it's going to impact yeah. the way you interact with all of us. So if we are more um, compassionate, I believe that, people will feel happier in their workplace knowing that they can have these little incidents and whatever and be um, quote unquote forgiven. Yeah. And, and when it comes to managing performance, I think it's important that executives in HR begin to understand that the focus of performance, which it always should have been, but it really needs to in the 21st century be about outcomes. Clarity of what the outcome is supposed to be, the result that is to be achieved has to be first and foremost. Then allow the employee the flexibility to achieve it, how to do it. So the what is the manager's point of view and their job is to understand and set the vision, provide the resources, ensure, you know, follow up, make sure that there's something. And in those follow-up conversation, it's not so much, did you do it? But tell me what result happened if it is missed result that they didn't quite hit the mark, they didn't give you what you wanted, then ask them how they thought about doing it and coach them on the how, not the what. Make sure they're clear about the what, but really coach them on the how and to find out what other resources they need. Did they, you know, did we just not project the time right? How, how do we work through that particular thing? And then allow them, I always say the best question to ask is, how will I know this is done? Yeah. So that now you turn it over to that person, they have control, which is what we all want. Predictability and control increases trust. And if I know that you're going to get back to me Thursday that says this project was done, then I'm not chasing you down Wednesday, concerned that did your parents get in the way? Did the kids get in the way? I can't see you work. I now know that I'm going to get an email or I'm going to get a phone call on Thursday that says this is done. But I think, I think if you have the understanding of if, if an employee knows, if a manager knows that their company understands that this stuff happens yeah. and you feel free to go to your supervisor and say, I'm dealing with an issue. It's going to take me, I probably need a week to work on this. Can you find somebody to help so that I meet the deadlines you set for me? Is there someone on our team that I can ask to support me with your permission? So I'm not overwhelming them on the side. Right. But can we, can we work this out? Because then I'll be a hundred percent back and right. the employer will know well, this person really values their employment here in our organization and is coming forward so that we get done what we need to get done. And I think you have to, feel like that's going to be okay and not, oh, this person's not doing their job. I need to get rid of them or I need to work around them. Right. Because generally those feelings start harboring or start coming up because we don't feel like you're predictable. Trust goes down right. and that becomes problem. And, you know, I'm so happy that you said that last piece because as I've said in other podcasts, the real success to a good performance and high performance and, and a good culture is really the ability to manage communication, trust, control, and predictability. Exactly. And as long as I feel like I can't talk about it, as long as I have to hide it, or mm -hmm. even if I'm thinking it's just something that's not appropriate to share. Exactly. 
then that gets in between what I'm thinking and you're thinking, because none of us are mind readers. And I told my clients all the time, stop trying to make me a mind reader because I ain't one and I'm going <laughs> to fail. And with that, Fern, how do people get a hold of you if they've got questions and where can they find this fabulous book, which I gave out at Christmas time <laughs> to many of my clients? I'm not sure they cracked it open, but I am definitely going to be sending them this podcast. Well, well, in the book is a lot of worksheets for people to collect information and get data so that they're less stressed. And so if employers wanted to give some of those worksheets to their employees to reduce their stress, I can help them with that. They can reach me at info at I'llBeRightThere.com. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper, and you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend, Ivan G. Hall, for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.